Shabbat Shalom, Tom and Trish. Shabbat, Shabbat Shalom, Shalom, Tom and Trish. Okay. So are you going to stand the whole time? He doesn't like when I sit. He doesn't like when I sit. Anna. Anna's watching. Anna. Woo! Where is Anna? She's scoring. Okay. I didn't know she was on like. We'll see. We're going to try it. Okay, so... Normally, normally I would have the the major part of the microphone towards the heavy hitters. But since Jerry's sitting over here, no, I'm only kidding. We've actually got Michaela back from the Holy Land. So I'm trying to point towards Michaela. That's right. Brock, do the best you can. Brock is, uh, stand by. Thank you very much. I'm looking for Brock, but he's uh, the very pretty girl with Brock is Jenny. Say hi, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. <laughs> it sounds like a, an Alcoholics Anonymous play. <laughs> hi, Jenny. All right. They'll be married in July. That's right. The uh, the wedding is coming. Uh, is it is still on, Jenny? <laughs> yeah, just, just checking. Just checking. Thank you. Try and hold it down. I don't mind the baby, but you, hey. I might have a meltdown. There you go. <laughs> Scott Martin. Uh, Eleven years ago, last week, a family of two left the airport in Charlotte and flew to Korea. Eleven years ago today, that family of two, Baruch Hashem, came back with a family of three. Joshua! <laughs> And I was there to witness it. That's right. That's right. And that's now six. Yeah. And, that, and then God grew that family of three to a family of six. So. Right. Right. It's, it's a high bar, buddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. High bar. That means you have a lot to live up to. Praise God. I am... Uh, I'm grateful not only for your friendship, but watching God work in your life and in Susie's life. And I don't think there's anybody here who's not impressed with how you're raising your kids. Keep it up. Okay. 
Well, that was a little snarky-ish. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of crying, hang on. It's okay, Mike. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> yeah, I think he's. I think he's got the um, allergy thing, you know, with the pollen and all that. Yeah. By the way, doing this doesn't help at all. You know what you should do? Hit the sink. Wash a little water in there. Wipe your face. Do not blow your nose in my towel. <laughs> Last one. Last one. Oh, no, there's no last. Come on. One more. But they, they've already promised on the camera. So there it is. Good. Yes, ma'am. I have a small announcement. It's okay. I have a friend. Don't tell me you're pregnant. No. Don't. Okay, tell us. Great. No. Um, I have a friend, good friend from Hawaii who um, is had a couple long conversations about Torah when I lived there and moved shortly after and when she's deciding that she wants to be in a Torah community and think about moving here because she's this was after a short conversation about Torah? Wow. <laughs> well, you should have some more short conversations with a lot more people. <laughs> well, it was, it was a long Okay. Long okay. We're on the phone hours and you know, Okay. But she's thinking of moving to Charlotte and um, is a single mom with a 10 year old and um she is wondering if anyone has like a room or something they would rent. So just to throw that out there, if anyone has a room you're looking to make an income on, anything like that, then she would be. Yeah. Okay. Or the guest house or in home. Mother-in-law suite mother-in-law that's not being used yet. Okay, 57 Chevy parked in the backyard. It's you know doing the wheels. All right, so if you if you got a spot, yeah, let just let you know, okay? That's good. Other thank you. Other you're welcome. Other stuff going on? Um, there's some clothes. I know that voice. Wait. There's like bunches of clothes from last time. I don't know. They're on the dining table. All black. Black coats, sweaters. Must be winter time. Wait. That, is that Brock's? Brock, you're always looking cool in black. No? Wait a minute. You're the Orthodox guy. Black? No? Unless it's a suit. Unless it's a suit. They're small things. Small things. Joshua, you wear black all the time. He's actually cool today. He's rocking pinstripes. Yeah. Actually, he's modern Orthodox. He wears colors. He does. He does. Yellow. Yellow power tie today during the cousin moment. Yeah. Alright, so if you don't if you don't pick up the black clothing that's in there, so Sunday night we'll be doing the uh, search for eleven. And when we burn that Monday morning, we'll just throw the clothes in there with it. It always astonishes my neighbors to see a fire on the driveway. So that's so that's basically what we've got. You know, we're using napalm this year. Actually. Yeah. That's right. Um, so, so this, I, I just want to make sure we're clear, and I'm doing this off the cuff. Hey, Allie, come on now. I know. I, just, I know. I didn't want. I don't talk. I'm very shy, so I just. That's it. The very shy one in the corner. Okay, so so I'm doing this off the off the cuff here, um, but I think it's important that we talk about it and just make sure that we're clear. So. Um, I think that I may have offended, hate this, but I think I may have offended Gideon and Autumn um, as they were removed from the meetup because there had been 90 days without any kind of, um, you know, I'm going kind of thing. 
and we've been doing that since the beginning and cleaning it out um, in an effort for folks like Tom and Trish who are watching to not think that there's actually 5,000 of us, there's only about 45 or 50 of us that regularly attend. So we've been keeping that cleaned out. Um, so when you know uh, Gideon got the, the email said, you know, you've been dropped from the meetup, I think he may have thought he was dropped from Bellatora. But that's not the case. Because there is no membership in Bellatora. We're a community and we just happen to live together and come together and pray. The meetup is simply used for us to figure out how many chairs should I really put out? And really, more importantly, do I have to get somebody to help me move that stupid glass table underneath yeah. the couch? That's all. <laughs> so I've already told Gideon when he called me to say, what's going on? Hey, that has nothing to do with Bellatora. It's just a meetup thing. And that they are welcome. But I just don't know if they know that or believe me or what. So they are welcome as everyone is. So if that happens to you, it means we haven't seen you officially for 90 days. So. Um, we're just trying to keep it clean. So, all right, so if you see Gideon and Autumn, would you grab them up and say, hey, I miss you, come fellowship with us, meet with us, okay? Because that's my desire in bringing this up tonight. So there's nothing uh, out there that's hidden so you know what's going on. Because I feel bad about it and I, I miss Gideon because he's a cool guy. I miss Autumn, but mm -hmm. I don't get to spend it. Kind of. But you can, all right. They still worse. Just shut. Yeah, I got it. Curacao now. Are they still Yeah, they are. Yes. Oh. They have I went to Curacao. Was that with my son screaming on the beach? It was with my very young son, this long. On the beach, screaming his brains There's out. There's only one son. But he did look cool in that little tiny hat. Yeah. Okay, so for those of you who need some help with the calendar, I just want to make sure we are clear. This is a special Shabbat 29th portion of the year, Akare Mode after the death. Um, today is Shabbat Hagadol. This is the big or the great Shabbat. Is that because it's... The Shabbat right before Pesach. When is Pesach? <coughs> twilight. Between the twilights. Between the twilights. The 14th. The 14th of Nisan. The first one. At, between the twilights. So this would be Monday sundown. Okay? Monday sundown. It's not so, when you see the moon. That's exactly right. So uh, this different class, Rick. Different class. Um, but a good class. A good class. It's not when um, you see the moon. It's yeah. when we see the moon. That's right. This is a corporate thing, and it is to bring corporate togetherness, corporate unity, nationwide rest and so forth and acknowledgement. So traditionally, again, this is just tradition, but if you want to um, play along with us and learn and and practice some of these things that teach your children some amazing truths, um, we are going to expunge the leaven from the house. The concept in the West of spring cleaning actually comes from this time of year. In the springtime, we clean out the leaven, and this is what is done. So we'll clean out the leaven. Our family will be cleaning out the leaven on Sunday, and Sunday night, Peter and I will ceremoniously go around with, we don't have a feather that works like this, so we, you know, we use, what do we use, a paintbrush? Pastry, Pastry brush yeah. and, and an envelope, and uh, which I really wish was pre-soaked in gasoline, but it's not, because it smells up the house. And then we'll go around, and the girls have pre-planted little piles of breadcrumbs for Peter and I to find. 
Now, this was really fun when Peter was this tall. But now, Peter kind of stands in the, in the room and goes, and does that little ninja thing and finds them without even really moving. But then I go sweep them up into the, into the envelope. And in years past, we would fill the envelope and put it on the porch outside the house Sunday night. And then Monday morning, I would get up and we'd burn the envelope with the leaven. And the envelope would be consumed, and all that's left is the leaven, which doesn't burn. Yeah. So, so we decided that the best that way to do work. that that doesn't work. The best way to do that is to line the inside of the envelope before the search with that fire paste starter stuff yeah. that you go camping with. Oh yeah. And then the the breadcrumbs just fall into the paste, shake good, seal it up, put that outside. The next morning. You can throw it in the air and throw the lighter. The guy's swinging! And the leaven is burned up. Yeah. That's it. So, so then, and then, of course, all the neighbors want to know what you're doing with the pyrotechnics again, which is, which, which is a great testimony. Um, so then Monday night at sundown would be when you would light the candles and start your Seder. Uh, so I know Greg is not here, uh, but in his stead, I know that Rick and Greg and I are absolutely committed, even at this late moment. There's a lot of sickness going around. And you notice my, none of my kids are here. None of his kids are here. I mean, they're, they're all sick, or the kids are sick. If you have no place to have a Seder, if you're not, I mean, they were having it, and now, you know, he can't even talk, you know, or, or whatever's going on. If you find you're with, that you are going to be not, quote-unquote, eating the Passover, you are unsatered on Monday night, would you please let either Greg Upham, Rick Spurlock, or me know, and that includes you, Tom, um, we'd be more than happy to make room at the table. We already have one unused place. Um, wink, wink, nice. Yeah. Um, more than willing to add more, Okay. So everybody's and clear. And we can multiply by two because Monday and Tuesday night. That's well, exactly we, right. We, we will have a second Seder. I know a lot of people do. Okay. So there's, there's, you got two kids at it. Yeah. And this is a great uh, um, uh, tradition uh, to have an adult Seder, yeah, if you will, on one night and another a, ch a child Seder so that you can actually um, tone it down and, and make sure that you're getting these memories built. So that's it. Joe. And if you don't live in the upper class of Charlotte, yeah. <laughs> I'm open up our house to do the same. Praise thing. God. There you go. You know, pray, that's what community is all about. So if you're in our community and you don't have a place to be, you have a place to be. There's no excuse. And I will jack you up big time if I find out you were not at a Seder. And right. if I can just add, because if you haven't been invited, it doesn't mean you got left out. It's just because everybody's inviting people, and sometimes we don't know if other people invited. So That's if, right. if you haven't been already invited and you don't have a place to go, speak up. That's we right. just don't know about it. That's exactly right. It's, it's not a, yeah, don't be embarrassed, okay? So everybody's good? Jenny, do you have a place to go? <laughs> yes. Okay, we got a yes. Okay. Susie, Scott, helping you out here? You're good. Oh, and the Wrights are doing one on April 17th at a church as well. Cool. Yeah. A little teaching one. Everyone wants to roll there. Praise God. Cool. Place for the yeah. Okay. Cool. Great. Great. All right. Tuesday night? Yes. Tuesday night, um, Brock was going to teach, but you know he's just really, well, occupado. <laughs> yeah. 
So we're gonna we're gonna forego Tuesday night Zadi class this week because second seder. Second seder, yeah, because a lot of folks are having a second seder, and Alan and I are having a private party with, well, well, just Alan and I. So <laughs> good deal. <laughs> yeah. So uh, private uh, seder. That's <laughs> fun. <laughs> so. Uh, Okay, sweetie. Yeah. Um, yeah, see? See? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, um, Tuesday morning. To, uh, to, yeah. I live in our house. I know. So do you. Don't you know, you Peter was wearing a t shirt yesterday that said, I still live with my parents. You guys want to come to our house? I live with my parents. No, I gotta live with my parents. It doesn't say that. I think I do. Stop that. All right. Intuitive. I'll give you a 10 spot. Go get bagels or something, but don't come back to Tuesday. Okay. So, <laughs> 10 o'clock, Tuesday morning. Tuesday is a Sabbath. I hope that you are not feeling compelled to work. Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock, there will be a Shakarit service here. And we will go through those prayers that we can only do during Pesach. Oh, yeah. All right? So uh, that's, that's not a uh, wrapping day, is it? Well, you don't tell what's up with that. It's, that's a min, and the minhag is that you do, most people's minhag is you do not do late to fill in on the eight, on the eight days or the seven official days of Pesach. Okay. So there it is. So don't bring the boxes. Bring your talits and uh, and your sitters, machsor um, if you've got one, and uh, and we will be doing the prayers. Men and women are invited. There's not going to be anything going on afterwards, so you can just come pray and then leave. You can come pray and sleep in the street. Um, whatever you want to do. It's a Sabbath. I'll be here all day, you know. So anyway, that's that's open for you. So I I, I hope you'll take advantage of that. We're not going to take attendance or anything like that. And I don't think it's on the meetup at this point, so. But we'd love to have a minion. So, men, if you want to come up, that'd be great. Have we forgotten any? <laughs> Hebrew class. Hebrew class this Shabbat. I have no idea what's going on with Hebrew class this Shabbat, but there will be no Hebrew class this Shabbat because we're in the midst of Pesach. Now, the next one, we'll figure out what's going on. Wayne is probably moving to Florida, so um, we're just we're gonna we'll talk about it a week, two weeks from this Shabbat, or prior to that, we'll all talk about it. Okay? Can we get into the portion now? Yes. Yes. My goodness. Okay. Yes. After. After. Yeah. So, in a, in a nutshell. What holiday is this portion about? It is Yom Kippur. I know I heard a Pesach from this side, but it's not Pesach. Okay, Yom Kippur. Or Yom HaKippurim, the, uh, the Day of Atonement. Okay, so if you'll turn in your Bibles to Leviticus, chapter 16 and verse 6, chapter 16 and verse 6, Vayikra, Aaron shall bring near his own sin offering bull and provide atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take how many he goats? Two. 
and stand them before Adonai at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall place lots upon the two he-goats, one lot for Adonai and one lot for Azazel. Now, as you read through this, we note that the sages noticed a distinct change in the text. Let's look at it together just uh, to get us started. Verse 10. The he-goat designated by Lot for Azazel shall be stood how? Alive before Adonai to provide atonement through it. Okay. And we skip down to the next time it's mentioned. And we find uh, on verse 14, you shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle on his forefinger upon the eastern front of the ark cover, and on the front of the ark cover he shall sprinkle seven times with the blood with his forefinger. He shall slaughter the sin offering he goat of the people and bring its blood within the curtain. He shall do with its blood as he had done with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it upon the ark cover and in front of the ark cover. Thus shall he provide atonement upon the sanctuary for the contaminations of the children of Israel, even for the rebellious sins among all their sins. And so shall he do for the tent of meeting that dwells with them amid their contamination. Any person shall not be in the tent of meeting when he comes to provide atonement in the sanctuary. Verse 18. He shall go out to the altar that is before Adonai and make atonement upon it. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the he-goat and place it on the horns of the altar all around. So we've got all of the other he-goat stuff going on. Verse 20. When he's finished atoning for the sanctuary, which we just read about, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the living he-goat near. Aaron shall lean his two hands upon the head of the living he-goat and confess upon it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all the rebellious sins among all their sins and place them upon the head of the O. Now for the very first time, it's not the living he-goat because now all of their sins have been placed upon it. And from this point forward, it is never called the living he-goat, even though the thing never dies. I bring to your attention two things. One, um, if you're defending the Word of God with someone and uh, talking about the creation story, the Garden of Eden, and the oopsie that uh, uh, our father Adam went through, what were they told? In the day you eat of it! You shall surely And what happens? She eats and didn't die. And didn't die. He eats it and he didn't die. Spiritual death died. Something happened. Just like something just happened when the sins of the people were placed on this living ego, it is no longer called a living ego. That should teach us something. Also, this is an amazing thing that the living he-goat, once it has the sins placed on it, that he-goat, does it ever die? It continues to live. And so it is with Messiah Yeshua, who bore in his body our sins on the tree. And he lives to provide intercession for us. Just like this he-goat. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, that was what I got this year. What did you get this year from Ahare Mot? Is there more of that to go around? Did you bring enough for everybody? Or? Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry, I asked. Yeah. 
I do have a thought, but I'll have to share in a minute because I can't get through it. It's written down on a piece of paper. Oh, you didn't memorize it. Okay. No. Okay, good. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. That's all right. Take, take your time. But it does have to do with computation. Yeah. Okay. Do you, do you want me to uh, do you want me to assist? I'm, I am. Uh, I'm trained in the arts. <laughs> if you need help, there. Baby holding. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although wow. only once with a boy. I mean. I have written a speech. I'm no good with Untitled. Yes, you are. <laughs> um, so it's it's just one thought that I wrote. It, it doesn't start out, dear Mr. Higo. Dear God. It's it's about imputation and okay. um, having gone through a reformed seminary. Imputation is a big deal. The biggest oh, yeah. deal. The biggest deal. It's um <laughs> it's the foundation of. Protestantism, according to Martin Luther and John Calvin, and any reform cemetery, etc. Um, and we see a lot about imputation here, where you, uh, when you offer the goat, you put your hands on the goat and you transfer your status to the goat. And uh, the goat doesn't necessarily transfer anything to you. We can only hope. Um, <laughs> but there's still is imputation there, and uh, so I'll simply read what I wrote uh, in Leviticus 17. Hashem commands that if one does not bring a sacrificed goat, ox, or lamb to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to Hashem, then that man will have blood guilt imputed to him, that's ESV, or according to Chabad.org, counted to him. The same verse then states that such a man will be, quote, cut off from his people, verse 17.4 which presents us with an expanded understanding of what it means to have blood guilt imputed to you. Again, in verse 9, the text reiterates that to fail in bringing the burnt offering or sacrifice will result in being cut off from your people. Within historic Christianity, imputation has been foundation, foundational to justification. And I'll explain what both of those terms mean. Traditionally, Imputation is seen as a vertical event occurring when someone believes in Christ. This is evidently legal courtroom terminology where God wants to accept sinners, but he cannot due to their sinfulness and his own holiness. Therefore, the remedy is that through Christ's death, God imputes his righteousness to me and imputes my sin to Christ. This is known as the doctrine of double imputation. So in other words, it's like you're standing in a courtroom in front of God, and God looks at Jesus and declares you not guilty on the basis of Christ, and declares you or declares Christ sinful on your behalf. So your statuses switch. So it's double imputation because my sin is imputed to Christ, Christ's righteousness is imputed to me, and it's legal, technical language. It's not actual. Um, and so Christianity insists that this imputation is real, but not in the sense of making the sinner actually righteous. Allow me to explain. In the heavenly law court, your legal status before God is now as if righteous. It's not pretend or a mere formality. It's real. 
However, here on earth, the sinner is still a sinner, indeed not righteous. So the imputation is real, but not actual. For becoming actually righteous is the realm of sanctification. The major problem with this view is that it is solely vertical between you and Christ, and solely heavenly, meaning that it only affects you and God, and has no actual bearing on your holiness in this life on earth. So you can live like hell. Whereas imputation, according to Leviticus, is not vertical but horizontal, and not simply heavenly but earthly, meaning it involves you being connected to or cut off from the known, recognized, and visible community of faith and as a result of your actions here and now. Paul is usually read as someone who invented the vertical and heavenly imputation. However, there's a recent scholarly movement who does not read Paul this way. That's been termed the new perspective on Paul. Herein lies the much-needed paradigm shift, viewing Paul instead as proposing what scholars have termed covenantal gnomism, which means that you're brought into the covenant by the grace of God, covenantal, and then gnomism, the Greek word for law is nomos, so gnomism, you stay in that covenant by obedience, which is ultimately all of grace. In this understanding, Paul was not telling us how to leave earth and get to heaven, but how to join the existing visible faith community and thereby understand the horizontal implications of imputation. Christ's death certainly was in the heavenly realm, not in the earthly temple in Jerusalem, but the implications would be horizontal and earthly. Christ's death brings us Gentiles into the covenant people of God, by which we were once aliens and strangers to the covenants of grace, and now we have been brought near and are fellow heirs according to grace. Ephesians 2. And we stay in by works, which are also fueled by grace. Indeed, the book of James 2, 21-25 agrees, stating the following, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. The scripture is fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, and not by faith alone. It is long overdue that we view imputation as horizontal and earthly. Perhaps it can be both vertical and horizontal, but that requires more thought. Did you write that? It's the beginning of thesis. It was great. Yeah. So, I just want correction, if I may, that the new Paul? New perspective on Paul. Is actually the old perspective on Paul. It is. <laughs> it's just termed new because... It is new for us. No question. Christianity just, has not seen it. All right, so now I need you to do something because I've got a friend here who has no idea what you just said. So break it down into... I need... I'm looking for something... That's me. See? See, Leah. All right, so I need something down home that I can say to somebody in Harris Teeter. Hi, did you know that imputation has nothing to do with a viral but it's really Or the price of tea in China. That's right. All right, so easy, and I need short sentences, and I need to take long breaths between the sentences. Okay, so essentially what I was saying there was um, the way that you... Well done, by the way. The way that it's always been known of how you're made right with God is it's just you and God, and you just believe in Christ, 
and there now you're as if you've never sinned, just as if I've never sinned. Protestant is what we were taught in Bible Protestant. college. Right. Protestant. So atonement. Your yeah. Right. So at this is Protestant. Protestant. So the Protestant atonement. You're now at one. At one right. with God, and so you're not actually righteous according to Christianity. Right. You're, no one's righteous. You're as if you're righteous. But what I'm proposing is that, according to James, if we make James primary, it's not simply just horizontal or vertical. It's this way. So when I'm given the righteousness of the Messiah, that brings me from far off near to the actual people of God. Amen. And so that's what it means to be saved in one sense. There's obviously the, the yeah, saved don't, 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 yeah. But it's really... How, who's who are you a part of now? That's right. Who have you been grafted into now? And if you have, then you're going to show it. So Genesis 15 is when Abraham believed God, but according to James, that needed a fulfillment. So we don't we didn't know that until Abraham actually offered up his son. That's right. Until Abraham actually did something. So imputation has actual consequences on holy living Amen. and actually brings you in to a visible faith group it's not simply a hypothetical of well i'm connected ethereally it's actual and so that's the paradigm shift that i think is captured by this horizontal like this way Amen. understanding of being made and declared righteous excellent now for those of you who, who got that you should recognize that that's exactly what Bellatora is all about. That's what our community is all about. That because of what Messiah did for us, we desire to live according to his commandments in, in righteousness and to be righteous men and women. One other thing, um, throwing around the term works a lot can prompt, well, what about grace? kind of questions. But that's the very false dichotomy that I'm seeking to right. undermine, right. is your works are by grace, and the way that you're faithful is by your faith. So they're the same. So the reason that you're obedient is because you have faith. Absolutely. Habakkuk 2.4 says the righteous one will live by his faithfulness, his or faith. faith. It's the same thing. So works is never bare works. Works is always by grace from God. Outstanding. Yes, ma'am. And the definition of works, though, because if you talk to the people we used to go to church with, works is feeding the poor. Um, anything they want to list. Yeah, they want to list as humanitarian. Right. Yes. But, you know, I think that works also includes obeying the command. Absolutely. Feeding the but poor is the, the Torah. Is, is, yeah, yeah. I but, I mean, they separate the loving works, I guess, yeah. from the law. But, but oh, they we shouldn't be on the reverse side separating those. No, no, See, no, we, no. We, ought to, we ought to actually understand that anytime God's at work in the world, it looks like something. Yeah. And it's obedience to him, and it's borne out sometimes in ways that may not necessarily quite fit our definition, but we know that God's at work. If that God's at work, we need to recognize it and say, that's good. You bet. And, and, and quite frankly, um, the way Rick has uh, always expressed himself to me when I said, well, don't you think that we should be feeding the poor? What's his response? Absolutely. It's not that we need to put down what the church has grabbed onto, which are good works. We should just say, absolutely. 
And what about? <laughs> but that's a later that's a conversation, right? So yeah, good stuff. And those works were prepared beforehand According to that Ephesians, we might it was walk in them. Yep. So, so it's all by grace. You're not going to you work unless God has, by grace, given you that desire. I mean, yes, ma'am. Go ahead. That's right. Go. Just speak up so they can hear you in Gastonia. In one of your studies, did you do a visual of the circle, something, versus, we're talking about versus grace, which is now. Right. you have a thing, you know, intersected. Okay. Yeah. Actually, that's it's just two circles. But that's just, that's just a, a way of looking at it. Yeah. Good. Other comments? Yes, ma'am. So grace would be defined as, I mean, if you're saying works and grace, they're on the same they're the same. They're, they're, they're needed for one another. And they're not, they're and they don't work exclusively. Right. It's not or against works each other. or right. grace, right. right, which is what the church normally teaches. We're no longer under works, we're under grace. It's, that's that's a false dichotomy, right? Right? We, we can work because of grace. We've been saved by God's grace, right? So are we able to... Would you mind defining grace in that context? Anybody want to define grace in that context? Grace is the grace. I, I'll just give you my definition. Um, grace is the is the God given ability to obey. It's a power. The uh, the scriptures teach us in the book of Romans that the natural man cannot even understand the scriptures. So it's only by His grace that He's opened my eyes to even understand that He is. And that he seeks those who will serve him. And that he is a provider for those who seek after him. So by that grace, I'm not only brought near through the grace of his son and his imputing work, but also I'm empowered now to not only be able to do it, but want to do it. And I I distinguish between that. Because I know a lot of men who are righteous and have absolutely no concept of God whatsoever. But if you look through and you just check off the boxes, they're following the rules. Because they're moral men. What's the difference? They just think it's right. They think that's the way they should go. I am motivated because I want, I desire now to please the one who saved me. So I not only am empowered to do it, but I desire, of my own free will, I desire to be obedient. The power and the desire to do God's will. I like that. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Sorry, you're talking about I was going to give the Sunday school answer. Yes, yeah. yeah. Sunday school answer because it's right. Is it? <laughs> Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. deserve. Yeah. And mercy is not getting, getting something what you do, that deserve. You do deserve. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it, so and that's, that's a little pithy, mm-hmm. and parts of it can work. But it leaves out a whole lot of what we're doing. Well, actually, the, the Hebrew word is we would be it has to be hyphenated in English. It's for mercy, and and it, it's loving kindness. Yes, it's loving it's a kindness. totally different. That's covenantal. It's always covenantal. Yeah. Your son brought up the fact that that Romans three is like you described, yeah. and in the in 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 the in the days of the apostolic scriptures that were being when it was being recorded. The Roman and the Greek cultures were highly moral. I mean, they, maybe not by our definition, but they were highly moral yeah. in, in, in the ancient world. Sure. And, and Paul recognized that that morality was, was in a way, 
Bible-based, but it was only according to their own desires, right. not be, and they promoted it as a cultural thing. So we need to distinguish. However, and I think Paul in Romans 3 lauds the fact that Gentiles act morally. Yes. So he recognizes the moral action and recognizes that it's good, and that it can preserve people and prepare them for the truth. That's right. Amen. Good. Got it? We okay? Can I add one yeah. Yes, ma'am. Um, if you think about the book of Acts, a lot of times, if you can even do a word study, like Google or Blue Letter Bible search the word grace, you'll see the times it's used, especially in Acts, it talks about the disciples were filled with grace, grace. and they went out and did stuff. Right. They went. They were filled with grace, and they didn't just sit there and like feel graceful. They went out and <laughs> did things. You know, they, they healed. They preached. They. Yeah. In, 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 fact, so I would, in fact, I would go so far as to dovetail with what Rick said and to say the only way that we knew, or maybe it was you, the only way that we know that they were filled with grace is that they did these things. Amen. I got you in the back and then I got you. Yes, sir. I was just going to say that part of our discussion at the table last night that Taylor was a part of, that this also goes off into faith and faithfulness. And in the Hebraic mindset, it's, it's that... Emunah and faith, it it, it mandates. It, it doesn't just suggest. It mandates action. That's right. That's exactly right. You're under obligation now. Exactly. You bet. Just like just like the slave with the with the all in the ear. You know, you're choosing to be obligated now to this exactly. this set of stuff. Yes. Uh, just just to actually promote uh, Taylor's perspective. Took the tour. Took the tour portion. Notice the fact that that that. When it came to atonement, that that there was a imputation, that there was something being transferred, and that that transfer had as much to do with the horizontal because of being cut off from the people, right. as it did with the vertical. You bet. Because we know people that are cut off; they're brought under God's judgment, but there's still an opportunity for repentance. You bet. And what is how is rep how is uh, uh, how is repentance? Manifested. What's the res what's the result of repentance? They're brought back into. That's right. Yeah, being cut off. So like, has it's, its like, how's their relationship with God change? Well, it could change, and you're outside the camp. That's right. But it's not fulfilled until they're back in with That's the right. people. That's right. The goal of being cut off is ultimately to bring them back. That's right. In. You bet. Uh, I, I think uh, just again to to lift up Taylor's uh, focus here, uh, and to encourage all of us. We don't want to study the Word of God to find out what it means to me. We don't really care what it means to you. How do I apply what God has said, what God has said in our lives? Because this should apply equally to all of us. Yes, sir. And this good is, job, by the way. Thank you. Even this with Argyle sex. No, wait, that's what I asked. <laughs> Anybody with Argyle? Yeah. Yeah, there it is. It's also brought out in First Corinthians where Paul is condemning some gentleman who has his mother-in-law. He's a man, not a gentleman. Some, some jerk, savage who has his mother-in-law. Degenerate. He is. Paul says, "Cast this man out." Put him out. Put him out. Not just to leave him out there, but for the destruction of the flesh. Paul using flesh there in like the sinful way. Because the aim of being cut off from the people, as Rick said, is restoration for restoration of his soul. Of his to soul. bring that person back. I mean, so it's the horizontal aspect again. Yes, ma'am. Even in Psalm 83, this is not just a New Testament thing in the church. In Psalm 83, it talks about you know God revealing Himself inside the nations and judging the nations that they may know Your name. 
That's right. So it's not just to cut people off for the sake of God just being right. mean. No, your name and sanctifying yeah. throughout the world. Amen. Okay, if you'll. I just wonder when we're talking about grace and being full of grace and carrying out through grace, we need the ruach to do all that. Right. Right? Yeah, therein That's lies therein lies the part of the power. You bet. So grace Absolutely. and the ruach are the same thing. They're not, not the same. Connected. The one, connected. one is one is. You can't have. You can't have yeah, they're, the they're together. They're together. Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of the Ruach Hakodesh is the earnest or the down payment of what we'll have when we're actually in His presence. You both. Did I hear yeah. this? Man? Well, and, and um, I'm not sure if this fit in, but I think it does. Um, Galatians five, where he's speaking mm. about walking in the Spirit. Yep. And and I kept what I kept hearing was the fruit. Is the fruit. That's right. Is the fruit. If he indwells in you and you love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and your mind, you're going to show fruit. I mean, there are other places where he That's speaks right. that. Absolutely. And, and so then he says, you know, the works of the flesh are all those ugly things. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, love joy, joy, peace, patience, patience kindness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it says, again, such things there is no law. Okay. You know, so it's a fruit of knowing him and loving him and wanting to be obedient to a wonderful father. Amen. And quite frankly, the 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 yeah. visible expression of the church today, Gloria, as you know, will stop there oh and say, gosh. now we're done. Actually, what they say is grace. Yeah, well... Grace. It's like, it makes me sick. I know, I know, I know. I know. Well, my, my, because my, it is such an empty word. Oh, no, I know. I got you. It has no explanation. You're exactly right, and that's why we're going through that. But to your point, the scripture's right there and describes these things. But I think the most important part is to recognize as... Um, Taylor. Lori. Taylor. Um. Well, that's why I had to look at him and go, Taylor's wife is... Lo-. She was, as Lori was saying, that we can see the expression of those things in the Torah. The question has to be for the new believer who's reading this for the first time and, and looking at that as you read it and say, well, how do I love my neighbor? How do I express joy? How is this seen in my life? This fruit, I mean, that's all I'm doing out there is trying to produce fruit. How do I know when I've got the I can see it, I can feel it, I can touch it, I can taste it. And there it is. It's back in the Torah to teach us where Absolutely. it is. Absolutely. And I was going to say that. It's not a new thing. That's right. It was done. It, it can't be a new thing if it's in the apostolic scriptures. You've got to be able to toss it back someplace into the Torah, whether it's Tanakh at least, like she did with Psalm 98. But I'm going to go bring you back to Leviticus, God bless you, 19. Right? Absolutely. Go ahead. Right. Speak up. I can't hear you over here. Going to say, when I was in the uh, church, I've always heard the definition of grace being God's unmerited favor. That's right, there you go. And so, just thinking of that definition in light of what Taylor presented with the whole political dynamic yeah. that the church adopts today, yeah. it really seems as though, well, it's unmerited and God gave it to me, so that's where it ends. Yeah, well, I've got the fire insurance, right? Or, so, right, exactly. I'm, I'm bound for heaven so I can live like hell. Can't lose it. Right? I can't lose it. Yeah. And you can't lose your salvation, so bam. 
I'm but, set. So to see this dynamic in the Torah about there being a horizontal aspect seems to be the real deal. Not only the real deal, I agree with you, but also life-giving. Yeah. Because now it gives me something to strive for. Now, I mean, I remember when I was in the Army. I was like, okay, I'm a private first class, and I want to be a corporal. And this, this, this wonderful sergeant looked at me, and he said, son, they wrote it down. Just do what they said. I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, here's what you need to do to be a corporal in the United States Army. You're kidding. They wrote it down? That's all I've got to do? Well, if you wrote it down, I can do that. And that's exactly what we've got. Now that we're empowered and we've got the relationship, why would we not want to do it? Right, so it goes back to Paul's concept of, you know, the Spirit writing the Torah on our hearts. I mean, well, actually, it was Ezekiel before that, but he was just quoting. Yeah. All right, so if you'll turn to Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 20, please. Verse 20. Let's just talk about some of those, uh, some of those Hebrew words that sometimes get a little confusing. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 20. When he finished atoning for the sanctuary, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring the living he goat near. What's he do? Verse 21. Aaron shall lean his two hands upon the head of the living he goat and confess upon it all the iniquities of the children of Israel. He shall lean. And this word is smicha. This is where you get that. If you have... Uh, the apostolic scriptures with you if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 20, 21 and verse 23 Matthew chapter 21 and verse 23 I will read it in case you don't have it handy since many of you are in a uh, Chumash or a uh, Tanakh Matthew chapter 21 and verse 23 and when he entered the temple the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority this is smicha when a rabbi is recognized by his rabbinic rabbinate with by his teachers as having gotten to the point where he can teach in their name they lay hands on him. They lean on him. That's smicha. And they give him authority to teach, preach, if you will, in their name or in his name. That's smicha. So the master is standing up and speaking and teaching with authority. And I mean, that's what the people said, right? Wow, this guy's teaching with authority. Whoa, I've, we've never heard anybody like this before. I mean, this guy's good. I like this. Whoa, Andy, come listen to this guy. Could be the Messiah. Oh, I don't know, but you know, right? So, the guys show up. Where'd you get Smicha? I mean, and we got all the list of the, of the rabbis. I mean, which, who, where's this coming from? This same leaning on of the hand is what we see Aaron doing to the goat. That's interesting. The master uh, plays this up, doesn't he? Right? By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Yeshua answered them and said, I'll, I'll ask you a question. If you tell me the answer, then I'll tell you by whose authority or where I got the smicha. He was really good at that, wasn't he? 
They asked him a question. And he asked him a question. It's rabbinic. It almost indicates you have smicha. I, mean, yeah. I know how to do this. I know how to do that. I played this game, right? Good. So does everybody understand? This is the same word where you lean and put pressure. Now, this has been taken, rightfully, I think, by the, the visible expression of the church today. I mean, how do we, how do we, uh, what was that called? When you, uh, ordain. when you ordain deacons or elders, <coughs> what, what's that ceremony look like? Yeah. You bring those guys up front, they kneel down, and what happens? We lay hands on them. We lean on them, <coughs> imputing, as it were, or passing to them this power or this authority. This is the same thing. And we see it, to your point, in the apostolic writings in the book of Acts, as they lay hands on these guys who are going to go out and preach the word of God. Okay? There we got smicha. Smicha. Question or just keep a adjustment? Keep adjustment. Yes, ma'am. I think it's funny that um, Matthew 23 passage you mentioned that the way Yeshua demonstrates his smicha, he says, said, I'll ask you a question, but who is the baptism of Yochanan, the immersion? Is yeah, that where, from God or from man? Yeah, where'd he get his smicha? And they obviously, they say, well, we don't, the people, we often know that it's probably from God, but we don't want to say that because then, so. Yeah, we, we give him yeah. credence. But if we say it's not, they're going to get all upset. Yeah, because yeah, they see the works of God in the people. Right, so that would kind of go to the, to the point of how do you know yes. you exist by the works? It's a visible expression. Yeah. Good. And, and actually, Judaism recognizes it as well. I mean, they may not, we don't always want to accept it, but it's true. I mean, the Talmud, the Talmud's primary uh, um, commentators are Rav and Shmuel, and Rav is never receives. Re, re, never received an ordination. Formal shmikah. Yeah. That's exactly right. <coughs> good. Other comments before we move on to the next chapter? You're doing good. You're doing good. I know. It's it's hot. If you feel sleepy, jumping jacks. Ready? B camp. One, two, one, two, one. Um, did you notice the uh, mention of the the Kohen who had been anointed. Um, I can't find it right now, so I'll go on to something else. Um, 17, verse 6. Chapter 17, verse 6. This is where it's talking about if you're going to make sacrifice, you need to do it in that one place. You cannot just do it anywhere. And it's, I thought it interesting to see how they described it. Verse 6, The Kohen shall throw the blood upon the altar of Adonai at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and he shall cause the fats to go up in smoke for a satisfying aroma to Adonai. They shall no longer slaughter their offerings to the demons after whom they stray. This shall be an eternal decree to them for their generations. So where we do this is most important. Then we get into the not eating of the blood. And uh, a whole lot of kosher life goes into that. And then finally in chapter 18, that we should not do what the pagans that were here before us do. What happens if we what happened to the pagans that were here as a result of their actions? What happened? The land 
spewed them out. And they're exhorted here, don't do what those guys do. Otherwise, what will happen? The land will spew them out. What happened to them? They didn't keep the Sabbath for the land. They neglected God's commands. They started doing some of the things that the people before them were doing in this land. And the land spewed them out. Exactly correct. There's a whole lot of nakedness going on in chapter 18. And uh, it really is, uh, is interesting that so many of our Christian and now almost, yeah, I guess even in the Catholic Church, um, we're seeing a, a lot of folks and a lot of denominations that are claiming that homosexuality is simply a, uh, it's like being born with a big left toe. Oh, you were born homosexual. Okay. But is that what the Word of God says? No. It is not. Not at all. And it, you can't read Leviticus chapter 18 without coming to that conclusion. There's a whole lot of stuff that is absolutely forbidden because it is not natural, including animals. Yes, sir. Is that a. No? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Lori first. Lori first. Look! No, he chooses. Oh, Remember, he's the leader. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it doesn't bother me when somebody points out somebody else's hand. It's when I choose them, and they go, oh, well, he... Hang on. Lori seems to be first. <laughs> I can speak for Taylor here, because he's aside for the moment. Okay, she's deferring to you. You're deferring to him. Yeah. Who's he... Taylor is uh, with child. Well, in a manner of speaking. Yes, go ahead. When Taylor was first becoming interested in Torah and all this was becoming exposed to it, he saw an interview once with um, a uh, atheist Jew, Larry King, interviewing a uh, pastor and this uh, Jennifer Nathaniel. She was a Christian artist um, who came out as a homosexual. And, but she still was this Christian and all this, and she said, well, it's just, you know, it's not, it's nothing bad, it's just who I am, and the pastor's trying to confront her, this is on, like, national TV, and this Larry King's mediating this here, and um, the pastor's, you know, telling her she needs to repent, and she's in sin, and there's, a, well, wait, 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 and the pastor says, it's an abomination in the scriptures, scriptures calls, you know, homosexuality, homosexuality an abomination, and Larry King uh, interrupts, says, excuse me, um, sir, do you eat pork? And uh, the pastor said, "Well, yes." And well, I'm sorry. I not you know I don't know. I didn't watch the interview, but what from what I hear, he said, "Well, I mean, I don't read the Torah, but I know that this Torah calls pork an abomination." And the pastor has to deal with all these hoops. Well, that's actually done away with because this and stream and and then fulfill the moral part, but it's not really and all the hoops and Taylor's watching this and he's you know in seminaries Protestant and you're studied Christian and he's thinking that seems a little bit inconsistent here same word huh I wonder what there is yeah. to that so. yeah. it's an amazing thing because uh, it's actually the exact same word in Hebrew you bet it is yeah, and we, my, that was going to be our question is it the exact same yeah, word yeah, yeah. yeah it is uh, and we give up the moral high ground immediately 
if we're stuffing barbecue into our face and saying that homosexuality is a sin. It's, it just doesn't work. You cannot do it. You can't, yeah, you can't do it. That's actually, and I don't want to interrupt, but that's actually how I've been talking to some of my friends, too, because, you know, when they say, man, this pork is so good, and da da da, yeah, I yeah. say, well, what is your stand on homosexuality and stuff? Because the same. Because the same. It's great, isn't it great? Well, not anymore. Walked right in. No, not after, not after this week's Bereans, I'm not doing that anymore. But. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, that's kind of the idea, and, and that really takes them because they're like, well, my stance is that, then I'm like, well, then help me understand something. Yeah, and how so, are you doing that? Yeah, because it is exactly the same. Way. It's it's uh, it's really an amazing thing. So um, yeah, go ahead. Just, uh, oh, just along those lines, uh, <laughs> to go back a couple verses, you read that it stops sacrificing to demons. Right. And what's and, and it's really easy for us in a Western culture to go well. Yeah, of course. We'll stop doing that's that. Like, yeah. yeah, that's really hard. And and the word actually is not demon. It's satir, right. which we get other things from, Savior, whatever else, you know, the, the idea of something mythological along those lines. But the same word actually just means hairy. And it's the same word applied to Esau. And it's a constant adjective applied to Esau. Hmm. You start thinking about it that way, it's like it's a little bit different. It's not sacrificing to demons in the sense of, well, maybe that's possible, but it's yeah. even more than that. It's the idea of satisfying the lusts of this world. Esau thought it was more beneficial to, you know, Fill to his eat belly. some of that red stuff. Yeah. And I'm willing to give up my my birthright. Well, who cares? It's from God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah, really. Matter. Yeah. And what we need to recognize is that 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 the sacrificing to demons is not something that pagans do. It's something that good people do as well, mm-hmm. because we satisfy our earthly desires. And we, we need to recognize that when we're talking about the Yetzirah, you know, the, the evil inclination, it is the, it's the way of the world. It's, it's Esau's way. And there's only two. There's Jacob's way and there's Esau's way. Right. And when we're following after Esau's way, that's what he's telling us to stop doing that. Yeah. I like it. That's good. Thank you. I apologize. I did override you. Yes, please. I'll, I'll latch on to that evil inclination because what I thought of when you said being born as a homosexual yeah. is... We're all born sinners. Yeah. Some of us have a propensity for different types of sins than yeah. others. Yeah. Um, let me say alcoholism isn't a sin, but but I'm I mean, well, right. it you is. Know, but there's Blood a propensity. We are, some people are born with a propensity to alcoholism. Sure. Some yeah. people might be born for a propensity to homosexuality right. or pedophilia. Who knows what right. it is? Even if there was an argument that you were born that way, it's it irrelevant. doesn't make it right. That's right. It's exactly right. It's just hard for uh, us to make a good argument in that case because of the media. Because the media will jump right on the thing and say, well, I mean, you've got every right to live the way they want. So. um, Well, then next is going to be bestiality. You bet. Exactly right. That's right. It's already happening. It's already happening. happening. Uh, on, on, that, on that point, the... the, the uh, Bestiality? No. Uh, <laughs> on, 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 on. Oh, yes, right. <laughs> this, 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 Paul said that what, you know, for my weakness, right. he's made strong. What right. we need to recognize is, like you said, we all have weaknesses. Everybody has different weaknesses. And, and Judaism takes the perspective that a weakness is actually an opportunity. So it's actually an opportunity for good. So it may be a sin. Something may be a sin. It's bad. But it's actually an opportunity, because it's my sin, it's an opportunity for greater success. Therefore, what I need to do is I need to take my sin and turn it around against itself. To a victory, that's right. As opposed to expunging sin, you know, God will do that. 
But as opposed to my my job is not to expunge sin, but rather to turn it around. Right. So that my weakness now becomes an opportunity for righteousness. So in in the in the case of someone who has uh, an inclination towards homosexuality or whatever yeah. else, that's an opportunity actually to reverse and make it an opportunity for righteous actions. Mm-hmm. And all the more so, those those people actually this is what this is what Judaism teaches. Those people actually have the greater possibility of righteousness than the average person. That's right. Joey? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Hang, hang on one second. Yes. Uh, does it just say that it is easier to get rid of one bad trait? That it's, it's easier to learn and know, know being like memorized the entire Talmud than it is to get rid of one bad trait. And in speaking of the Yetzer Hara, it's, it's just to Rick's point that someone would, would, would through introspection and um, self-analysis be aware of the things that they are most susceptible to. And as such, they would be able to say, okay, well, if, if I'm prideful, I need to have more pride in God, you know, and, and, and make it towards something that's yeah. holy because yeah. those things will never go away. It's, it's, it's our human nature, our evil inclination, however you want to say it. Sure. Instead of trying to, um, to get rid of that, Turn instead that energy towards something that is a positive mitzvah, or, exactly. or something you more inclined towards holy and righteous living. Yeah, and and therein I think that there's a great sense of victory because um, people are more concerned with okay, I just need to get rid of what's wrong with me. No, focus on what's right with you. That's right. And, and the more good works you're performing. The, the the less time you're going to have to sin. That's right. If you spend your time doing the do's, you, you have, have less time to do the don'ts. don'ts. Exactly. Yeah. It is easier in community than one man doing it by himself. Amen. To be able to stand, and Tuesday night is, is, is such a great thing to be able to stand up and say, you know, I am struggling with this, pray for me, you know, that kind of thing. And you've got other men that come alongside you, and, uh, and many of them having expressed the same problems and temptations. Yes, ma'am. In that mitzvah volume that you loaned me? Yes, ma'am. A phrase I wrote down is used several times to subdue our right. evil. That's right. I thought that That's was right. subdue. That's right. It's because it's not like you can get rid of it. You cannot. Yeah, it will be there fine. until we are perfected, right? And this, immor- this mortality puts on immortality in the twinkling of an eye. Where am I quoting from? First Good job. <laughs> 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 Go tiny class. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Hey, All right. Yes, sir. One last comment is, uh, uh, as we're talking about these subjects, homosexuality, all this kind of stuff, uh, now that I've been more learned in the last couple of years, you know, you used to talk to people and they'd say, isn't this amazing? Isn't this a shame? It's amazing. You know, I can't believe what's happening. And I used to say the same thing. Oh, it's just terrible. It's a, but now it's like, when I talk to people, it's like, no, it. This is what I mean. This is what happens. This is life. Yeah. This is what happens when you disobey God, That's right. or this is what happens That's when right. you don't walk his walk the walk. So it's a total. 
different understanding for me. Before it's like, oh yeah, man, what is happening to the world? Well, you know what? We now know what's happening to the world and why it's happening to it's the exactly world. Right. And it kind of hits people because I think they just want you to say to to, to feel sorry for them. Commiserate. Yeah, commiserate with them. And it's like, no, you know, this is what this is what's supposed yeah. to happen. I mean, this is gonna happen. The psalmist says, uh, I see the psalmist yeah. or, or Solomon Proverbs, um, if the foundations be destroyed, what will what shall the righteous do? Right? Um, the whole foundation of our country is being torn out from asunder as as permissiveness and uh, an allowance for evil is considered I mean I'll say it out here in public, you've heard me say it before. When I was a boy homosexuality was defined by the experts as deviant behavior. And now, it's a lifestyle choice. It's against the law. It's still against the law. In almost every state, bestiality, homosexuality, and all the words that I'd rather not say in front of the kids are all still against the law. So sleeping with my wife, by the way. So don't even well, think about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. I just realized. I, Stop doing all of you. Stop doing not just him. <laughs> oh, man. But as, as a reflection, remember that the first sin outside the garden was fratricide. That's pretty bad. Yeah. So it's not like the world's getting worse. It's just maybe to our eyes that it's getting we worse. We notice it. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to share a scripture in Genesis in four in Genesis four by Cain and Abel. There's something that goes along with what we're saying, and I always thought this was so amazing. Before I started doing uh, the Lord's will, then the Lord said to Cain, after um, let's see, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So God, so Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And I just thought that was amazing when I see that thinking, wow, this is a choice. These you bet it choices. is. That's right. Yeah. And not only that, he doesn't say sin is crouching at the door, and you need to kill it. Sin is crouching and you need to banish it. No, you need to master it because it will not go away because we live in a fallen world. Just turn your Bibles, if you would please, to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, or as many know, the, the only Italian prophet, Malachi. Malachi. There we go. While you're turning there, let me just ask for your prayers. I don't do this flippantly or lightly. I know many of you, uh, when I ask you to pray, actually will write it down and remember to pray. Um, I've been given the privilege and the opportunity, uh, shortly after Pesach ends, to uh, to teach at a uh, Catholic men's Bible study. Five Catholic men that are doing a Bible study and have for many years. And... Uh, They've decided that this year they'd like to study other religions to see why they're Catholic and what their faith is all about. So they decided that uh, the first religion to study would be probably the most important, aside from Catholicism, and they think that's Judaism. 
Um, so the, the gentleman in charge of the study um, looked around for anyone who would know anything about Judaism and ended up with me as a last resort. Um, so I, uh, I was asked if, if I could provide anything that they could read between you know the next four or five classes that they had trial. You know, so uh, I, I, I sent them a, I sent them a link to um, to a Catholic website uh, that said uh, if Jesus was Jewish, why are we Catholic? You should read it. You should, you should read it. I'll put the link out there. Thank you. You know, um, yeah, I, I I do think it's an opportunity, and uh, I would I would ask for your prayers, um, not for the ability to speak. Obviously, I can do that. It's to say the right things, right? It's to like it's the cor- correct amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harness. We're looking for a harness. We must master it. That's it. Thank you. There it is. Subdue it. Subdue it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah. So that's that's coming up. Um, I I gave them uh, the Catholic website. I gave them uh, a passage at the back end of uh, Exodus that talked about building a tabernacle and why, and then the uh, first five chapters of Leviticus uh, with regard to uh, well the back end of. Exodus, where uh, Moses is unable to go into the tabernacle, and then uh, the first five chapters of Leviticus, which speak of the uh, obviously the uh, sacrifices, uh, enabling us uh, with the blood to dwell with him. So, uh, yeah, and there's that. So pray for me. <laughs> Um, I'm feeling a cold coming on. If anybody wants to cover that class for me, Jerry, on your way to Texas. You got it, man. There it is. Why am I looking at Malachi? Why am I looking at Malachi? Because Joseph told you to. So the sages have come up with a haftarot, right? If it's not it's not half Torah, it's haftara. Okay. So this is the. The matching portion, if you will, with the with the Torah reading. And the sages studied and diligently paired these up so that you would read a spot in the in the prophets that would help you to see several things. First, that what God said did come to pass, or uh, perhaps that what happens to the fathers happens to the children, or that uh, what God said is true and things of this nature for the uh, for the special Sabbaths uh, and the special uh, times like today Shabbat Hagadol um, they had some special readings and this one is only read on this Shabbat and the normal Haftarah is not done the Haftarah for Shabbat Hagadol is Malachi 3 verses 4 through 24 if you were here with our with us for the Torah service this morning. You've already uh, heard this read, but I did want to bring up a couple of things from this um, with regard to uh, Suzanne's reading of the uh, passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, <coughs> about not being deceived, that folks that act, act this way, and he lifts out a hoover of things, uh, 
cannot, will not, certainly inherit the kingdom of God. Well, I thought that interesting when we read in Malachi 3.4, the offering of Judah and Jerusalem at that time will be pleasing to Adonai. As in days of old in former years. How, how can it possibly be that the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing if at this time we're not making offerings? And why are we not making offerings? Because the temple is destroyed, and more specifically, there is no altar on which to make those offerings. We don't need a temple. We need an altar. But we, we pray that every day as a part of our prayer that God will restore the temple and the altar. Right here. I shall approach you for judgment. Who's speaking? Is it? Is it Yeshua? Is it Hashem? I will be an urgent witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely, those who withhold the wage of laborer, widow and orphan, who pervert the judgment of the stranger and do not fear me. So says Adonai, Hashem, Master of Legions, Adonai Tzavot. For I, Adonai, have not changed. That's cool. For in him there is no shadow of turning. Yeshua is the same yesterday, today, and not tomorrow, but forever. O children of Jacob, have not ceased to be. You children of Jacob have not ceased to be. Why would he even mention that? If he had changed, then... Well, not the part that he had changed, but why does he mention that they still exist? Well, they got kicked out of the land. The Christians tried to kill them. We've got all these sins going on. The Holocaust came. I mean, we got all kinds of stuff going on. But even if you're just back in that time, their sins had caused them to be kicked out of the land. For the days of your forefathers, from the days of your forefathers, you strayed from my decrees and did not observe them. Return, Shuvi, return to me, and I will return to you, says Adonai, Master of Legions. And then he goes through a little wordplay here. In verse 10, bring the entire tithe to the storehouse, and let there be food in my house. And test me now thereby, says Adonai, Master of Legions, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour down for you blessing beyond your capacity. The whole tithe? I thought the tithe was just a tenth of what I make. Is that before taxes or after taxes? April 15th is next week. I, I need to know. What's the whole tithe? That must mean before taxes. What's the whole tithe? Are you talking about the, the portions of the I'm just talking about what he said. Bring to me the whole tithe. The whole tithe is 10%. Is it? Well, what did you say? If you're, it says bring the whole tent. The whole tent, which is the word tithe. Well, in, to that point, in my studies on this, with our concepts of pre and post tax income, if you're receiving your net after tax, it's as if you didn't, it's treated in modern Judaism as if you didn't earn what was 
already taken in facts. I'm with you on that part. Okay, so I was being were... I was being facetious on the whole okay. on the pre-tax deal. Okay. I'm just trying to figure out what does this man mean when he says bring in a whole tithe. I don't well, you think they were, how many of you think that they were they were tithing four percent instead of ten? You think that's what he's talking well, it's about? Not how a, many? It's not a tithe if it's not ten. Okay, so a whole tenth. Hang on one second. Mm. Oh, you got a footnote. That's good. Yes, ma'am. Well, I ran off the 613. I did find out there's something called the second tithe. That's it. There's actually a third tithe. Okay. Oh, we're, we're full of tithes. Now, I don't know. how many of those tithes is a tenth? All of them. It has to be all of them. But the fact that he mentions a storehouse tells us it's a particular tithe. Which tithe? was actually set aside in a storehouse it's for a reason. I'm sorry, I, I didn't come back to you. You got it. Oh, you want my footnote? I do. I mean, that's, that's what it's talking about. It's yes, like, please. There were actually two, two tithes required, an annual tithe for the maintenance of the Levites and a second tithe brought to Jerusalem for the Lord's feast. Close. Every third year, however. Here we go. Here it is. Listen, every third year, this is, this is actually the third tithe. Was kept at home and used for the poor. Store. One use of money is often a barometer of his spirituality. I mean, this, this is the storehouse. This is the storehouse. So that third tithe was to be set aside for your town, so that you could do what? Take care of poor people, widows, orphans, and the Levite who lives in your midst. They weren't doing that. And he even mentions it in the paragraph before. You know, we've got a bunch of poor people in Charlotte. I don't really... That's a lie. I do really care if you're a Republican or Democrat. I care more if you're conservative or liberal. Libertarian is pretty cool. But I think the bottom line is this. If you think it's the government's job to take care of the poor, then you need to read the Bible. It's as simple as that. If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. But in God's economy, God's people take care of God's people by simply being obedient. It's as simple as that. It's not like an extra thing. I keep the commandments. I know, yeah, I've got to do that tithe thing. What? No, no, no. I'm obedient. Therefore, the poor around me, the (coughs) widows around me, the orphans around me are cared for. We don't need the government to do it. And if we trust or rely on the government to care for these, the unfortunate around us, shame on us. Joseph, to that, to that. Yes, sir. Please. We, we. Uh, Hashem says that the poor will always be among us. That's right. And, uh, Yeshua reiterated that as well. Yeah, the war on one, poverty one, one is, argue, is a losing battle. One could argue with regard to the tithe that because we're not in the land or whatever else. But the interesting thing is, this tithe actually is one that it's irrelevant. No, that it's right has no no bearing on on being in the land or having uh, or having a temple. That's right. This one kind of floats all by itself. That's right. Good good job. That's exactly right. 
I, I was taken this year by verse 16. I'm in uh, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. Then those who fear Adonai, that would be everybody in this room, right? Yes. Then those who fear Adonai spoke to one another. Isn't that something? You know what that is? What's that called? Community. Community. Fellowship. It's community. They came together in fellowship and said, well, gosh, I don't think we're doing this right. We need to change our behavior in order to honor our God. And they did. And a scroll of remembrance was written. That's right. For those who fear Adonai and meditate upon his name. They shall remain mine as a treasure, says Adonai, Master of Legions, of the days when I make judgment, and I shall have compassion on them. On who? On those who fear Adonai and meditate upon his name. What does this remind you of? I hope it's Revelation chapter 12 and the last verse. Uh, Revelation 12, last verse? Yes, ma'am. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's amazing. She got that. You see it? Yeah. Yeah. They kept the commandments. Who are they? Who are they? They're the ones who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua. Right? So they got the name and... Wow. I think that's just so cool. That's right. I shall have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. Then you will return and see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. And isn't that really what the media is having trouble with today? They just don't seem to have any concept of how to differentiate between the righteous and the wicked. Oh, no, they do differentiate. They just have a different standard of righteousness. Yeah, they've got to turn around. And isn't it interesting that the righteous and the wicked are juxtaposed in this verse 18 between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. And then we get the reminder of the fire. It's all going to burn. He talks about the oven. He talks about the day coming. That awesome day of the Lord. This Pesach, that's this Tuesday, we should see, it's either Tuesday or the following Monday, we should see the first of the blood red moons. The blood moon tetrad, that would be four blood moons in a row. The first one is to be this Pesach. The second one is this Sukkot. The third one is next Pesach. And the fourth one is the following Sukkot. Folks, we are living in the day. The times are upon us. When this happens, something happens to Israel. Let's take note. Let's watch the news. And let's be found faithful. Because who knows? If something should happen. Someone... I don't know whose name has two syllables and sounds like Putin. That <laughs> languishes his way into convincing everyone of something and brings about peace in the Middle East. Because 
The end time clock doesn't start to tick with war. The end time clock starts to tick with a covenant of death, a, a peace treaty, peace in the Middle East. Whether it's a Palestinian state, whatever it may be, you watch. If during these four blood moons we see that the Jews are finally able to make sacrifice on Mount Moriah, where they're not even allowed to bring a prayer book, and they begin to make sacrifice, you need to set your watch. That would be pretty cool. Income tax about eight years from now will not be any kind of concern for you. On the time. <laughs> I appreciate all of you. I pray that this Pesach is one that is the beginning of wonderful memories for your children and is the beginning of a walk of righteousness that you can look back upon and thank God for. Amen? Amen. Good Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for Malachi, for the one who has warned us of the coming judgment, of the coming of our Messiah Yeshua, of the forerunner Eliyahu Hanavi. And Father, this Monday night, as we all keep the door ajar and a place set for that one, I pray that we would recognize him when he comes, that the two witnesses that stand in defiance of the evil one would be easy to recognize for us. And then in spite of all the trickery, you would find us faithful and unable to be deterred from following your commandments. Come quickly, Lord Yeshua, and all God's people said. Amen. Thank you.